Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Ellsworth, welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Dr. Rick Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us today is Dr. Kelly Evans to answer our medical questions. Dr. Evans' specialty is internal medicine. She works with the Avera Medical Group Brookings and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Evans. Good morning, Laura. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Nice to see you. Yep. We have a cold morning. Oh, isn't it terrible Here out is. there? Oh, my gosh. It is so, so chilly out there. So nice to be in this warm studio with Bob and Kelly. Yep. Just stay we're, we're inside for a warm. few days. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Tell us about your show you're planning for this Thursday. Yeah. So this week's topic is oncology. So all things related to cancer. So cancer diagnosis diagnosis, treatment, whatever questions our audience may have. Um, I have an oncologist from uh, the Avera Medical Group in Sioux Falls, Heidi McKean, joining us. I think she'll be wonderful. I'm excited. I think it's a it's a topic that we should have plenty of questions to answer from our viewers. Um, and I mean, cancer is a, it's a pretty broad topic, really. I mean, when we say cancer, that means many, many different diseases. So um, I think everyone has been touched in some way in their family by some cancer. So um, we're, we'll be happy to take questions and hopefully educate people about what they want to know. Yeah. yeah. I like the, the title was, um, or is cancer, facts over fear. Yeah. You know, I think most of us, when we hear the word cancer, fear is kind of an initial yeah. uh, response just because we do hear these stories uh that mm-hmm. are sad and maybe don't and often don't end so well but right. um there there's a lot of knowledge that can empower us too. yeah there is and you know we sometimes we call it the big c word because it is just a scary word to hear but it it's a it, like i said it's a broad term so mm-hmm. there are some cancers that when i hear the term for example basal cell carcinoma of the skin. Well, that's cancer, but it's not scary. It's really not a scary thing. That's a skin cancer that very rarely spreads and basically is treated with excision, and that's that. Um, and and so it ranges from that to what I would, you know, consider a scarier cancer, but it's all dependent a little bit on staging, even with the more aggressive cancers. Um, so it's the cancer doesn't really do justice to what we actually are talking about when we're talking to people about their specific disease it's there's a lot of details that matter when it comes to prognosis and treatment and all of those things what is cancer mm-hmm. when we that broad word what yeah. is that mm-hmm. so cancer would be any group of cells that has undergone some genetic mutations for some reason sometimes it's random but sometimes there are things in the environment that trigger those changes that cause them to overgrow or not die at the appropriate rate. You know, our our cells, if anyone's been through sort of a lot of biology 101, you're familiar with a term called apoptosis, which means cell death that's supposed to happen, you know, when our cells turn over and um, at some point, if, if there's some reason that their genetic material is less stable, 
the, the appropriate response to that physiologically is that those cells should die. And um, cancer cells generally undergo some series of mutations. It's usually not just one mutation. It's multiple to get to the point of overgrowing um, cancer so that they're growing out of control and they're outside sort of our body's normal controls to keep that growth in check. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, as you're hearing, mm-hmm. we are going to chat today about cancer. So if you have a question um, related to cancer, um, diagnosis, treatment options, prevention, anything along those lines, or any other medical topic, we would be happy to take those questions, and we're going to give you a chance to call in now. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. 605-692-1430. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Frostbite is a type of injury caused by freezing. It leads to a loss of feeling and color in the areas it affects, usually extremities, such as the nose, ears, cheeks, chin, fingers, and toes. Frostbite can permanently damage the body, and severe cases can lead to amputation. Frostbite should be checked by a health care provider. Call 697-9500 to see your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605 692 Dr. Evans, we have a question. If my grandmother had breast cancer, Mm -hmm. am I at higher risk for breast cancer? Yeah, great question. So um, family history matters for some cancers and not so much for others. So it's a little bit dependent on the cancer. Breast cancer is one in which family history can make a difference in your lifetime risk. Now the question, does my grandmother's diagnosis of cancer affect my risk? Most models would say probably not. Probably one grandmother with cancer is not enough to um, elevate your risk statistically. And that's partly because breast cancer is so common. Um, so like something like statistically one in eight to one in 10 women over their lifetime will have breast cancer. So you can imagine, you know, a single grandmother history statistically is probably pretty common and maybe you're, you, we would assume you still are what we call average risk. Now, there may be some finer models for that. We definitely, if you have a first degree relative with breast cancer, then that affects your risk. So that means your mother, your biologic mother or sister. Okay. Um, same is true for colon cancer. We use first degree relatives when it comes to um, looking at an individual to be at elevated versus average risk. Um, but it's it's worthy of bringing some of those details up to the attention of your primary care doctor because sometimes that makes a difference. And, you know, there might be a situation in which someone, you know, maybe they, for whatever reason, didn't know their biological mother, but they know their grandmother had cancer and a couple aunts had breast cancer or something like that. And so that cumulatively might affect how we look at someone's risk and and help us with making recommendations for what they do for screening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is the standard recommendation for screening for breast cancer? Oh, So you will find disagreement among societies on this. And part of that, Laura, is because the data is just, it it leaves room for sort of interpretation on how, how we should proceed. So definitely, I would say the most conservative recommendations would say that people should have annual, or excuse me, 
mammograms every one to two years between ages 50 and 75 plus. Now, there are some societies that might say start at 40 or 45. So that starting age is a little bit grayer depending on um, how you interpret some of the evidence we have. Some of that has to do with how we interpret the risk versus benefit ratio. So certainly we know that people probably get what I'd say the most bang for their buck as far as the evidence-based medicine between ages 50 and 70 when it comes to breast cancer screening. That doesn't mean people under 50 don't get breast cancer sometimes. The, the What I would call, I'm holding up my fingers for, for air quotes, but the risks of mammograms, we don't probably talk about as much as we ought to. And what I would say is the biggest risk is what we call false positives, mm-hmm. meaning people have a mammogram that's abnormal. They might need to do more mammograms or an ultrasound. They might need to have a biopsy. And it turns out either not to be cancer or, you know, the, a, a even more sort of advanced concept would be what we call overdiagnosis, a cancer tumor that's never going to cause them a problem, which mm. is a little harder issue to sort out. But even if you can, you can imagine sort of those weeks that you spend very anxious about your abnormal mammogram while you undergo this further testing to find out that ultimately it's not cancer, that's not nothing. I mean, I, we shouldn't discount that as as not a, a downside to screening. It's a lot for people to go through and, you know, thinking you have cancer when you don't is 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 a negative thing. So those risks are higher before between 40 and 50 just because of the nature of breast tissue before menopause primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's I think that conversation between 40 and 50 is a little more individualized um, and maybe your family history affects it. Maybe just your individual perceptions affect it. So I, I I often say to people, you know, I think it's gray. You don't have to do mammograms before age 50. But if you're losing sleep over it for whatever reason, you've had mm-hmm. a friend with a recent diagnosis, then maybe the right thing for you is to start screening a little earlier. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the thing about cancer screening is we kind of make these guidelines, which are a little bit black and white. The evidence is less black and white, but we have to come to some conclusion to tell people. And so that's the, the a longer answer than you're probably looking for, Laura. Yeah. But <laughs> No, that's good. That's good. And yeah, ultimately, ha- I, when I'm hearing you describe that, just having a relationship with your primary yeah. care provider so you can talk through those options and mm-hmm. decide what might be best for you. Cause right. It might be different for you than your friends sitting. It, it absolutely at, might, and I'm obviously there are people out there who make the decision to not do screening, even at those higher risk age groups for one reason or another. And mm-hmm. you know, that's not. It's not that that's an unintelligent response. I think if you understand the potential risks, the the pros and cons, some people make that decision. Most mm-hmm. people do choose to do screening at least on some interval during those higher risk times, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Your essay this week talks about um, some of the major risk factors for cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, smoking was yes. your number one. Um, I feel like we don't hear as – I feel like growing up I heard a lot about not smoking. I feel like I don't hear as much of those campaigns anymore. Right. But um, remind us um, of all the reasons we shouldn't start smoking yeah. um, or if we need a little encouragement to possibly stop yeah. um, what we've – what risk we are at when we sure when smoking involved. and I think that's so true I think that's changed generationally just partly because the number of people smoking has changed as a result of those campaigns that we probably heard when we were mm-hmm. uh, in in childhood which is a good thing um, but when it comes to 
risks of smoking, there are many. Cancer is one of many health health problems that can be caused or your risk increased by smoking. We're all familiar with lung cancer. Um, lung lung cancer can occur in non-smokers, you know, that that does happen, but it's much, much, much more common in smoking. I mean, a Mm -hmm. a very high rate. There are a lot of other cancers that are much increased by smoking. They're just probably a little less common than lung cancer. So cancers of the urologic system, meaning kidney cancer and bladder cancer and um, cancers of that tissue greatly increased by smoking for whatever reason. It's Mm -hmm. not like those areas are directly exposed to that smoke like our, our lung tissue is. But definitely increases it. Um, And uh, cancers of the sort of mouth, tongue, head, and neck increased by smoking and chewing tobacco. So those carcinogens that kind of directly come into contact with those tissues. Um, And there are various others. Um, Cervical cancer. So cancers that are caused by human papillomavirus, which is another thing I talked about, including cervical cancer and these head and neck tumors, smoking compounds that risk um, many fold too. So lots of great reasons when it comes to cancer to not smoke. Right in addition to all of the cardiovascular disease that it can contribute to. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you have if you want to quit smoking, um, yeah. what's the best way to yeah. try to do that? Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people, mo- most people anymore that I talk to about quitting smoking, it's not their first rodeo. They've mm-hmm. tried this before and maybe either succeeded for a time and went back or it just it failed. It didn't it didn't last long. So, a lot of people kind of try the initial things, quitting cold turkey or cutting down on their own or maybe even nicotine replacement therapy on their own. Um, and what I tell people is it's it's never too late to decrease your risk. The minute you stop smoking, you stop those exposures and you can um, start to have some of those health benefits. Um, but there are some medications that can help. And honestly, sometimes just the sort of behavioral intervention of talking to your doctor and having an accountability plan can help. So mm-hmm. it's I, I don't know that it anything brings me more joy, but then seeing a patient and saying, hey, how how smoke stopping smoking going? And they say they tell me I haven't quit since I saw you last in three months like that mm-hmm. is a, if I if I can do one thing well um, to help people's health that's that's something that I can contribute to so we want to help yeah and yep. and do, so don't be discouraged if it hasn't worked before there's still a chance you mentioned the human papilloma mm-hmm. virus and uh, there is now a vaccine yeah I feel like it's relatively new. It is. It's been around. It's been around. It wasn't around when probably you and I were at the age that we could get it. It Mm -hmm. probably was approved between 10 and 15 years ago, I'm thinking, Laura. Um, But it's it's a series um, of of vaccines, and it's recommended to start at at around age 12 or 11. You talk to your child's doctor about it. Um, But it it works well. And what we know is that HP, you know, almost no cervical cancers, cancer of the cervix and women occur with absence of HPV. And so cervical cancer is a cancer that was occurred at really high rates in like the 50s and 60s until we started doing pap smears, which is a cancer screening mechanism. And that reduced risk because cervical cancer... Not all cancers have this benefit, but cervical cancer is one that has a pretty clear progression of abnormal cells that gradually change over time before they become cancer. So screening really works for cervical cancer, but an HPV vaccine will basically prevent you from getting that risk factor that's almost necessary to develop for cervical cancer. Um, But like we talked about, HPV also contributes to other types of cancers. So cancer of the head and neck, which kind of means cancers that start maybe in the mouth or the tongue or the gums um, or the throat. 
those a lot of those not all of them but a lot of them are hpv positive so um have have uh start with that viral exposure and in men um penile cancer being much more uncommon than cervical cancer but a lot of those are related to hpv as well so Okay, so I take a step back. So this is a virus we're talking about that we get a vaccine for, but this virus causes the virus causes cancer. Yep. Okay. You bet. It's it's it also causes warts. So HPV has a many strains and. The different vaccines maybe have slightly different strain coverage, but we know there's at least two or a number of strains which are much higher cancer risk. Okay. Um, some of the strains cause warts, including genital or your common wart. Yep. And and so, you know, I mean, an HPV vaccine might also prevent someone from getting warts in the future, which is, you know, a nice added bonus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, the virus is pretty much responsible for some of these types of genital cancers. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you recommend, um, or it's recommended maybe at age 12 yep. to start exploring that. If you missed it, is there an age where it's too late? No, or? not necessarily. Okay. I mean, really the the re- reason for these recommended ages is just because you're much more likely to benefit it bef- if you get it when you're young. Okay. Um, mo- HPV, at least when it comes to cervical cancer, et cetera, is spread sexually, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to be fully vaccinated before that, so adolescence is a good time to get people vaccinated and not think about it again. Yep. Um, but it, it used to only be approved up to age 26. It's now approved for longer, like up into people's 40s. Um, but often, I, I mean, most people in their 40s have sort of had their years of potential exposure, but mm-hmm. that's not true across the board. Mm-hmm. Um and really, I think insurance coverage might still be in that younger cohort, so okay. in that 11 to 26. But it might depend on your insurance because it's approved longer. You might have better luck even in your 30s at this point. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, it's time for us to go to our next break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Give us a call at 605 692 1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Tobacco can lead to tobacco, nicotine dependence, and serious health problems. Quitting smoking has immediate as well as long-term benefits for you and your loved ones. Make the decision to be smoke-free. Stopping smoking is associated with many health benefits. If you smoke, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. That's 784-8669. Or call the Avera Medical Group Brookings for help to quit smoking today. 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. All right, Dr. Evans, I have a question. We have okay. a loved one diagnosed with multiple myeloma. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has had radiation, and the next step in his plan is high-dose chemo and then a stem cell transplant. Okay. Could you tell us a little bit about what happens with a stem cell transplant and what they're hoping is going to work yeah. for that? So, th- th- disclaimer, this is outside my area of expertise, but mm-hmm. I'll give you my best sort of layperson description of what that probably means. So, 
stem cell transplants or bone marrow transplants are, are types of transplants that we do primarily for what we call hematologic malignancies or cancer of the blood cells. Myeloma is a cancer of one type of blood cell. Um, and they're done much more commonly now. They're done commonly in childhood leukemia, for example, and, and other types of aggressive leukemia um, in adults as well. Um, so generally, the concept is this high-dose chemotherapy, which pretty much wipes out your own innate immune system, meaning the white blood cells that come from our bone marrow. Our bone marrow is a type of tissue that lives deep in our bones and produces these precursors to our blood cells, including our white blood cells, which constitute most of our immune system. The problem with transplant, any transplant, but even more so with bone marrow, because it's, it affect, you know, if we're going to transplant our blood cells is that we need, we need our old immune system not to recognize the new tissue, the new blood cells in this case, Mm -hmm. because otherwise it will attack them. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a a bad problem to have. So that chemo is directed at sort of our old tissue, some of which is faulty because it's cancerous and, and kind of kills off everything before we get transplanted this new bone marrow or immune system, essentially. Um, and if that goes well, it cu- it cures malignancies. It cures these blood cancers and um, has high rates of success in, in modern medicine. But there's kind of a vulnerable period there where you really don't have much of an immune system. And so a lot of people will stay in the hospital for some of that time. There's mm-hmm. lots of other side effects to the chemotherapy, et cetera. Um, and one has to just be very cautious about getting an infection when mm. you don't have a lot of immune system to fight it off during that sort of transitional period. Mm-hmm. Highly specialized procedure that our cancer docs deal with. And um, maybe we can talk about it a little bit at, at the show with Dr. McKean on Thursday. But yeah. um, it's it's something that legitimately, like we talked about, it cures a lot of childhood leukemias um, mm-hmm. with and is done commonly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are some of the more exciting cancer treatment advances yeah. that we've seen in recent years? So uh, there have been a lot. I would say most cancer doctors would probably say a type of drug therapy called immunotherapy. And so these are medications that are targeted to specific problems related to those genetic mutations that a cancer cell has undergone. So the great thing about these types of medications, and they're approved for various types of cancers, is that they treat the cancer effectively without causing so much toxicity as our traditional chemotherapy. Our traditional chemotherapy tends to have a lot of side effects because it kills off other tissue. Mm-hmm. So it's just a little more toxic than some of these newer immunotherapies, which people can take in pill form or get um, you know periodic infusions or injections of and really have minimal side effects and mm-hmm. go about their lives um, despite undergoing treatment for cancer. Okay. Yeah. Is that something we'll hear more about? I think so. Uh, I think it, uh, yeah, yeah. 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 There, are, there are a lot, you know, immunotherapy is a broad term to mean a lot of different types of medication. Um, but it's, I would say it's been a huge development when it comes to treatment of cancer yeah. in the last 10 to 15 years. When we hear about treatment plans and options, they really seem to vary. Mm-hmm. What 
um, you know, everything from surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, these new options yeah. that you talk about. What factors go into these treatment plans? Yeah, so that's where the it's all in the details about the cancer. Cancer is much too broad a term for us to tell you much more than that. So it depends on a few things. That Number one, the type of cancer. So the type of cell that has gone awry in cancer. And so even when we say lung cancer, that can mean a number of different cells that have actually started the cancer. So, so different types of lung cancer have different types of treatment depending on what type, what cell type is the problem. Um, and the, the, the other things that go into it are sort of localization or how much the cancer has spread. So you'll see surgery used a lot more if the cancer has not spread outside its organ at all. So if there's no lymph node involvement or and certainly if it hasn't gone to distant sites, um, other organs in the body, then surgery is more likely to be an option. But again, depends on the cancer type. Whereas systemic options, things like chemotherapy are used more commonly in either cancers that can't be treated surgically um, and or ones that tend to be more aggressive. So maybe you caught it and it's still localized, but we know that these cancer cells are sneaky enough that even though we think we remove it all surgically, those people might have chemotherapy recommended to them. And then radiation, again, is it depends on the tumor type, um, whether it's, uh, it's the, those cells tend to be affected well by radiation and the, the location um, of, of the tumor, et cetera. Sometimes we do radiation for incurable cancers, meaning cancers that have spread widely in the body for symptom control. So if, he, mm-hmm. if someone, for example, gets a tumor on their spinal cord, or in their brain and it's causing symptoms, even we know, though we know we can't cure the cancer, we know we can make people feel better by shrinking the tumor. Mm. Um, so radiation is used, it has a lot of indications, both for in the goal of curing disease and in the cure of just sort of shrinking tumors to prolong life and help symptoms. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's time for us to go to our final break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. We have a few minutes left. If you want to call us with a question, give us a call at 605-692-1430. Prairie Doc programs are available as a podcast. Just look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Influenza has made its appearance. If you have not received a flu shot, get one now. Symptoms of influenza are fever, fatigue, cough, runny nose, body aches, and decreased appetite. Generally, influenza makes you feel much worse than the common cold. If you have questions about influenza, call your provider at the Avera Medical Group Brookings, 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Kelly Evans is here answering our medical questions. If you have a question, give us a call at 605-692-1430. I know some of us like to maybe ignore some of the unusual (laughs) signs or symptoms we may be experiencing, just kind of put those away. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some of the symptoms and signs we really should not ignore? Yeah, I'm good question. So we've talked a little about screening, and when we talk about screening, that has to do with people who have zero symptoms. So mm-hmm. that, by definition, screening means asymptomatic. So what shouldn't a person ignore? I mean, I think those those things are wide. If something is, is new and and changing or evolving for you. 
I have never been mad at a patient for coming in to ask about something that turns out to be benign. If, sure. if they don't know, and especially if like if you're worried about it, by all means, come talk to us about it. But new pain in any location is something worthy of at least talking to your physician about. I mean, especially if it's in the belly or in a cavity of, of your body. If, if something's new, it's worth talking about. If you notice a lump or bump somewhere or, you know, some somewhere your things just look different, that's mm-hmm. worthy of having an, an expert eye take a look at it. Um, unfortunately, there are a lot of cancers that grow and don't cause symptoms for a long time. So just, you know, you shouldn't, I, I tell people you shouldn't blame yourself if, if you do end up with a cancer diagnosis and, and wish you would have come in sooner because that's that's common. Some of these things are just kind of sneaky tumors that grow depending on their location, and it's not the fault of the patient. But by all means, that's the, one of the huge benefits to having a good relationship with a primary care provider is if something comes up and, and you're not sure if you should be worried about it, come ask us. Mm-hmm. We at least can know if we should look harder at it. Right, you know. right. Mm-hmm. I feel like this relates. I've been hearing in the news. I know we've talked about it here. Some of us have delayed some of our regular annual exams in the last couple of years. Are you seeing some of those consequences? um, Yeah, I think it's, I think it remains to be seen a little bit Mm -hmm. if there's going to be sort of a a concerning boom in, in late diagnoses of things. I, I think, I don't know if we know the answer to that, Laura. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I've seen a lot of, um, a lot of that, but there's certainly, we're still in the phase where people are catching up and they're screening. So, yeah. Yeah. So if we haven't, it's time to go in. Yep. 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 That's good. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Dr. Evans, for answering all these questions today. And before we go, please be sure to tune in to South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and the Prairie Doc Facebook page for On Call with the Prairie Doc most Thursdays starting at 7 p.m. Central. This week on Thursday, February 24th, Prairie Doc host Kelly Evans will discuss cancer, facts over fear with Dr. Heidi McKean with Avera Medical Group Oncology and Hematology in Sioux Falls. So tune in tomorrow night on SDPB television. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and we'll listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. Visit www.prairiedoc.org. And I see we just had a couple questions come in, but we are out of time for today. So we will address Call in those. tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can tune in on SDPB tomorrow night. Um, and I bet Dr. Evans will answer these questions. Otherwise, uh, we'll be back next Wednesday at 930 and we'll um, ask our Prairie Doc next week. So tune in then. My thanks to Dr. Kelly Evans for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people.